I'm really big about the education side and kind of getting, getting in, getting your hands dirty and learning as you go. But for somebody that doesn't have a lot of extra time, but they're interested in it, those syndicates are great, great places to go. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today my guest is Luke Andrews. Luke, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. How are you? I am doing great. It's a nice sunny morning in Nova Scotia today. And, uh, you know, kind of as an aside, we had our first baby chicks were born yesterday. So we have uh, almost a dozen more hens to our flock, which is pretty exciting for us here. We made chickens. So it doesn't happen every day. Let me read your bio so people know who you're doing. Sure. Luke Andrews is a real estate entrepreneur who sells, leads, and invests. He's a best-selling author who has purchased more than 40 rental properties before turning 40 and a passion for trying to change lives through real estate. And I know this is not a marketing or sales book, so it's, it's a bit of a kind of an aside for us from what we usually have on the show. But I think because the real estate market is so tight you know there's there's hardly anything for sale out there in a lot of markets as well as interest rates are increasing and you know the stock market is having issues and the crypto market's down i think people are really starting to think about investment property so i wanted to have you on the show to talk about it because it's also something that you know i'm trying to get involved in myself and then people i know are getting involved so it's a hot topic right now my first question i think is why don't you tell us a little bit more about the 10 Investor Mistakes book and why you wrote that book? Sure. So it's a, like you said in my bio, I purchased 40 investment property, properties by the time I turned 40. That was, that was a big goal of mine. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I own 40 right now. I've bought and sold over time. I've grown a fairly large portfolio and then, you know, had some partnerships dissolve and, and had to sell it. So I've, I've had some wins. I've had some losses. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And real estate is something that I'm super passionate about. I am a real estate agent. I also lead a team of over 20 agents and then I'm an investor as well. But my whole goal is just to, to change lives through real estate. And if I can get people excited about investing and kind of take away some of the fear and let them know that, hey, mistakes are going to get made. There are pitfalls that you're going to run into while you're out there. But if you can either find ways to avoid them or, you know, it, at least understand that even if you make mistakes, that it doesn't mean that, that everything is, is over. It's not monopoly that if you go bankrupt, that, you know, the game's not over, you do get an opportunity to start again. It's something that I wanted to do. And so I, I came through and I had people asking me all the time, well, Hey, how did you buy these properties? What did you learn? What did you see? What did you do? And so I just, I kind of wrote down the, the 10 mistakes that not only I made that I see other investors make that I'm working with on a daily basis. And so I just put it out there and I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not charging for this book. I'm going to throw it out for free. Anybody that wants it, they can go out and grab it. Nice. And where can people get the book? We'll just do that right now. Just in case somebody wants to type it in, if they're on the computer or something. Sure. Also have it in the show notes. 
No worries. 10investormistakes.com. And it's the number 10 investormistakes.com. You can go through, you can download it for free. It's a, it's a quick and easy read. I mean, if you're, if you're a fast reader, you could probably have it knocked out in 20, 25 minutes. Right. So what do you think the biggest mistake somebody who has never purchased an investment property makes? I think the biggest mistake that they make is, is over analyzing. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, it's, it's no different than the stock market where somebody will, will look at a stock and they'll, they'll see that it's rising and then they'll just keep saying, Oh, you know, I, I need to get in. I need to do that. I need to get in. I need to do that until eventually they've kind of priced themselves out of it. It's gone up so much and they just, the lack of action caused them to miss out on, on great profits and returns. And so it's, I'm not saying to go into it just completely blind and, you know, just, just writing checks like crazy, but at at the same time waiting, things are only getting more expensive. Um, So that delayed action can really cost you a lot of, a lot of money. And you hear a lot of stuff on, you know, like the YouTube and, and, you know, TikToks and reels and all this kind of stuff. There's always, you know, people in property investing on those and you sort of get this thin content everywhere where they're like, oh, you want to get into investment property, you know, like the Grant Cardones of the world and stuff who are like, well, you know, just take your extra income and go buy a cash property and then leverage that to buy another cash property. And you're like, yeah, but how do you do any of those things? Right. Exactly. And that's, but that is how I, I got started. You know, they, they'll call it the, the Burr method, the buy, rehab, rent and refinance and then repeat. It's, it's, it's not quite as simple as, as they make it out to be, but it's, it's also not insanely complicated either. As long as you've got a good team around you. And that's one of the, one of the chapters of the book is, a big mistake that people make is not kind of building out this team. So having a trusted real estate professional that can help you find and scout the deals, but also having, you know, a a handyman on site, some trades with electricians and plumbers, you know, having, having attorneys and CPAs in place that can either give you some advice or kind of help you as, as you're getting started. But he's he's exactly right. I mean, you, you got to go through and you do you got to take some extra extra cash that you've got and go through and, and buy those investment properties. But even those that don't seem like home runs in the beginning, they don't necessarily have to be home runs. You can hit singles and doubles and build yourself a very nice cash flowing portfolio that can provide you the passive income that, you know, replaces your, your traditional nine to five income. So do you think, um, and I mean, I have some experience in this world, um, you know, having, uh, worked with a lot of people in property management and real estate and mortgage. So I would say the two most common ways I see people getting into investment property right now is they buy a duplex or something that's multi-unit where they can live in it and rent out the other parts and be on site and fixing it up themselves kind of thing. And the other way is buying a property to use for something like, you know, Verbo, Airbnb, that kind of thing, like short-term rental. 
is that the route that you think is is kind of the best way for people to get into it or you know what do you think is the best way for people to get started so so the first method you talked about where you know you're, you're buying a duplex or a triplex living in one unit and, and renting out the other they they call that house hacking which is it's a phenomenal way to do it it can get a little bit awkward uh, living right next to your tenants. I know some tenants right. won't even consider a property if the landlord is living next door. And then as a landlord perspective, it, it can get a little awkward as well. You know, you kind of see how they're living on a, on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, people aren't necessarily taking care of it the exact same way that you would as a landlord from a distance or having a property manager. You don't necessarily see that. But when you're living in it day-to-day, it can make it a little more challenging. But I will tell you that is one phenomenal right. way to be able to do it. The Airbnb and the VRBO, I am just now starting to get into. So I actually just bought my sh- first short-term rental, closed on it two weeks ago. Uh, my business partner has several. He absolutely loves them. There's still a relatively new concept to me. And there are a lot of cities and counties throughout the U.S., who are starting to put a lot more uh, restrictions on them. So if you're going to do it, I would say go through and try to do it as quickly as possible. That way you can be grandfathered in and not have to worry about some of those challenges and regulations that are that are coming down the pipe. Yeah. So my business partner and I had one that we did as an Airbnb with a house that he owned and we did short term rental. And then about five months in, the town came and said, we don't allow this basically. And we looked at fighting it in court and it looked like it was going to be really expensive. And, uh, it turned out to be cheaper for us to just sell it to someone else. But yeah, I mean, the regulation thing is, is where you're going to get it on the short term rental. I think that's, you know, make sure you do your homework on those things, people. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, we, we've got a lot of crazy laws here, here where I live in terms of short term rentals, but I'll tell you where people are having a lot of success or what I would call kind of medium term rentals. Um, so they're, they're getting around a lot of the regulations by having tenants in there for 30 plus days. So kind of that 30 to 90 days, they're using it for traveling nurses, which are huge right now. Um, they're using it for, you know, potentially pilots, um, and, um, you know, air, airline staff and crew, uh, as, as crash pads with, within cities. Um, so they're using them, you know, like I said, renting them out for 30, 60, 90 days at a time um, to, to new tenants. And so you kind of get the, the best of both worlds through there. Um, and they're they're making mm-hmm. a great deal of money doing that. They've got a great quality of tenant that's in there and they're not having, you know, it, it's not the same cost and turnover that a traditional short term rental Airbnb VRBO is going to be. Um, I can tell you, we've got a management company doing our Airbnb property and they're taking 35% right off the top. And I've heard in some cases, I, I've seen that go up above 40%. Um, so it's, there's a lot of revenue to be made, but, but profit can be tough on the backside if, if you're not careful with it. Yeah. With the one that we did, we used uh, a short-term rental management company. Um, they were really good. They only actually charged us 25%. That's phenomenal. Um, and they still handled all the cleaning and stuff, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, but man, I couldn't believe, like, we were renting that property out before for a couple thousand a month. And when we short-term rented it, 
we were getting like revenue in the four to six thousand a month. It's crazy, you know. So even with the twenty five percent, it was still way more than we could rent it for at the time. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, if you have, especially if you have an area that is close to a metropolitan area or is a good tourist area, they seem to do really, really well there. Or in cities where people, you know, need to book it for weddings and stuff. I found that that was a big one because, you know, what do you want to do? You want to rent a dozen hotel rooms or rent one house for, you know, 300 or 400 bucks a night. Exactly. And I can tell you that people right now are really big on experiences. So if you've got a property that is somewhat unique, it's definitely going to be rented first. And Airbnb actually just updated their site two or three weeks ago, you know, as we record this in early June. They updated their site so that you can sort by different types of properties. They've got all kinds of things. So, you know, if you're not even just like cabin, chalet, house, bungalow, I mean, they've just, they've got it broken up into, into, to castle, to tree house, to yurt, to all of these, these different options. I mean, which is just, it's making, it's just showing where the market is shifting and going. And if you've got something that's unique about your property, you can you can really turn it into a, a big, big moneymaker. Well, that's the thing, right, with any marketing is, is differentiation, right? What makes your Airbnb different than somebody else's Airbnb? And so if it's a treehouse, that's definitely where you want to market. Right? Absolutely. Um, an interesting thing, you know, that a lot of people don't think of, when getting into real estate is something that we've been considering on our property because we have essentially a hobby farm, but my wife is a flower farmer. Oh, very nice. Um, So we're thinking of putting a a tiny home at the top of our property so somebody can come and stay in the middle of the flower farm and, you know, have chickens running around and, you know, six acres of flowers around them. That would... So I think that would be a good selling proposition. that That would rent like crazy. That would absolutely rent like crazy. I mean, the only thing I can tell you is make sure to, to check with your local government and statutes to make sure that you can have a separate dwelling on the property. But I mean, man, that's it, people would fly from uh, across yeah. the country to come do something like that. So let me tell you something crazy. This might blow your mind. I live in a place that has no zoning. So there's there's no zoning. There's you can put anything on your property. Wow. You want to build a skyscraper or a factory, you can go ahead. Wow. Like there's literally nothing. But there's they're gonna put in zoning. Essentially they're supposed to have zoning go in by next year. So we're trying to figure out what we want to do now that isn't gonna be allowed after it gets zoned. That's a, a, you're uh, exactly right. Hey, get it get it done as quick as possible. But it is crazy. My neighbor has a sawmill. <laughs> <laughs> like he just one day he was like, I'm going to make a sawmill. So he has a sawmill. Interesting. Like, yeah. Like it just people here are used to just doing whatever. Right. Which is something I've never seen before. Sure. But that's going to start going away. So, you know, I think we might be the last place on earth that doesn't have zoning. <laughs> well, get, get it, get it knocked uh, out while you can. I know I got to start. I got to start, start building that tiny home or uh, some kind of, you know, cabin or something people can stay in. All right. So we talked about duplex, triplex, you know, where you live in. Uh, We talked about VRBO, that kind of stuff. We talked about building, you know, like building a tiny home or something like we want to do on our property. Mm -hmm. Is there other 
ways to get into real estate investing that we haven't really considered yet? Sure. I mean, there's there's definitely there, there's commercial property. There's some that's that's a combination of both. You know, where maybe it's some sort of retail or office space on the bottom, but you've got apartments up above that you're either renting out on a short term basis or long term basis. You know, very very popular in urban areas. And then, you know, just there's things that you'd call like syndicates or REITs, which are more just a way for you to just park some money with pros that are out there and they'll go through, you know, some of that, some of them are a little more regulated and they work a lot like mutual funds or hedge funds. But some of these syndicates, they're, they're very, very specific and they're out, you know, they're looking for specific large apartment complexes or things like that around the country. And you're able to take advantage of some of the some of the tax benefits, some of the owner benefits, but also be able to to share in that revenue and that profit as well. Um, just not quite as much. You're not quite as hands on. You're not learning quite as much, which I'm really big about the education side and kind of getting getting in, getting your hands dirty and learning as you go. But for somebody that doesn't have a lot of extra time, but they're interested in it, those syndicates are great, great places to go. And you can find all kinds of them across the country. So a REIT or like a syndicate is essentially like a real estate fund. It is. So a REIT is going to be a lot more regulated and a lot more like a traditional mutual fund. They just invest in property. The syndicates, they usually have kind of a a standard portfolio and they'll, they'll bring just a deal together and say, Hey, we're looking at buying this 120 unit apartment complex in Atlanta and we're going to pay $30 million for it and it needs $10 million worth of work. And this is, yeah, this is the return that we expect. And then we plan to sell it in five years. And, and then you can kind of invest on those individual deals. Uh, They usually have minimums, you know, somewhere between 25,000 and a hundred thousand dollars, but it allows you to get in and you've got more of a true ownership role rather than ownership of a fund. You have a little more ownership in the actual property itself. You're just sharing that with with multiple like-minded people. Nice. So if somebody wants to, you know, put their money that they've made in their business or they have some extra money for whatever reason, do you think real estate is a good investment, you know, with the way the economy is going right now with inflation and stuff? I mean, obviously, this is not investment advice. Don't, you know, hold our feet to the fire. We're not financial advisors. But uh, in your opinion, you know, is is real estate the way to go when the market starts to get the way it is now? I think real estate is is always a great investment. You know, I as long as you do it from a smart perspective, you know, you're not over leveraging yourself on the on the front side. So even if there is a market correction or, you know, knock on wood here, a, a market crash like we had in 08 and 09, which I, I do not anticipate at all. Um, I don't think we have the same kind of outside pressure factors that we had in 08 and 09. But I do think that yeah. we'll probably do for a bit of a slowdown or a bit of a correction. But when you have those corrections, everything kind of goes on sale. And who doesn't love to shop when things are on sale? So you've got opportunities right. to be able to, to pick up more. But in the interim, you can continue to pick up as the market's going up. You can take on some of that appreciation and then you can get in while, while things are a little bit lower at the moment. It's just to me, it's, it's always been a good investment. But 
I'm not going to say probably biased. I'm very biased because this is what I live in on a daily basis. Um, You know, if you ask someone who sells life insurance, is life insurance a good thing to have? Of course, they're going to tell you yes. I happen to be in real estate, so I think that it's a phenomenal investment. It has done very, very well for me. And I think it is... It's a good, hard, tangible asset that you can have that there's always going to be a need for quality and affordable housing, not only in the United States, but in, uh, across the world. Right. So when you say over leveraged, do you mean that you are borrowing against, you know, the properties, the cash properties you already have to get more cash properties? And, and the worry there is maybe that the rents will drop or... You know, you won't be able to get tenants or something like that. I'm not as concerned with with the rents dropping, but if you're if you're over leveraged to a sense that it, you're right, borrowing against the the value of the property, I try not to borrow more than eighty percent of the value. That way, if we do take some version of a correction, that I still have some positive equity in place. That if worse comes to worse and I have to sell the property, you know that I'm not underwater on it. But it's I just mean making sure that you've got a good, solid cash position with within the homes. That way, like I said, if if the market does take a turn, you're not underwater. But we want to make sure that we know what something's going to to rent for or have a really good idea of what it's going to rent for when we go make that purchase so that we can we can predict out what the cash flow is going to be and even build in you know, potentially a month or two throughout the year where there's no tenant in there. You know, a tenant moves out at the end of their lease. It doesn't mean that it's going to be rent ready and you can turn around and just and just put a new tenant in day one and having complete continuity. You know, you may have to put in new carpet, new paint, new floors, new appliances, any of that stuff there. And that stuff takes time. And you may be a month or two without, uh, without income. So you got to make sure that you're, you're able to still cover those monthly bills. Right. And I guess the worry there of over leveraging yourself is that you still got to make the mortgage payment, even if there's no one in it. Right. So correct. And the more you borrow, uh, the higher that payment's going to be. Right. Uh, one of the things when I talk to property managers, you know, people who run property management companies and stuff. And I know a couple of fairly large ones and, and as well as some kind of small business type ones. One thing that they have said quite often is that new property investors tend to underestimate the maintenance cost of the property. Is that something that you've found? Um, yes, I have. People very much tend to underestimate what, how much there's going to be and how much it's actually going to cost. Um, it, it's, it, people are going to be harder on rental properties than, than they would be if it were their own home. So you are going to have to replace floors and paint more often than you would, um, in, in your own personal home, you know, plus as tenants move out, you're going to need to, to make some updates because people that are just now moving in aren't necessarily willing to live with the imperfections and the flaws that the last tenant created. So I always try to try to bake in at least 10% per month on what we call a, a loss vacancy, meaning that so if I'm if I'm trying to factor in what my cash flow is and I know my mortgage is going to be you know $800 a month and I'm going to be getting $1000 a month in rent, I'm going to factor in that of that $1000 there's going to be 
10% or $100 coming off for a property management fee and then another 10% in lost vacancy so that I can I can just kind of keep that off to the side. That way, if I need a new furnace, a new water heater, a roof, carpet paint, whatever it is, something that a tenant's deposit isn't going to cover, I've got this money sitting over here to the side. And I factor in that additional 10% and the property still has to cash flow and give me enough of a return that it, it gets me excited about actually purchasing it. Um, so I factor that in on the front side and nice. I advise all my, especially my new investors to do the same because I'd rather them be pleasantly surprised and not have to spend it and have just kind of this money sitting aside in an account over here that they've got to do whatever they want with, as opposed to, oh shoot, water heater just went out. I got to come up with an extra thousand bucks and I got to pull it out of my own personal account. Interesting thing about that, actually, now that we're talking about it, it's got to be eight years ago now, we wrote a website, a private website for a company, essentially taking all their spreadsheets and, and turning them into code so that, you know, it was interfaces that they could use. And what it would do is it would say, OK, we had the inspector go look at this property and it has we figure 15 years left on the roof, five on the water heater, you know, like it had all these calculations of how long they think it's going to be before the next maintenance thing needs to be done. And then it would take the average cost of that, multiply it by inflation, and it would give you this number, and that number would get divided out over time. And it would be like, this is how much cash you need to save off the top for this property for all the maintenance for the next however many years. Genius. And it was a super interesting way to do it. Yeah, it was genius. It is. Um, they were doing it for condo complexes and stuff. Yeah, yeah that's that, that's amazing. Apartments. And I mean, and then you know, just factoring in, factoring all that in, and making sure that the numbers still make sense. You know, I always looked for thirteen to fifteen percent return on my money, knowing that additional expenses were going to come up, and I'd probably end up in the seven to eight percent range. Like I said, I'd, I'd rather be under-promised and, and over-delivered, pleasantly surprised at the end of the day. You know, honestly, this is a, it's something that I've been trying to get into for a long time, and I have a little bit, I've dabbled in it a bit, and, and I want to, you know, get further into it over the next couple of years. Um, so I'm really glad that, that you know, we were able to chat and get you on the show. But, um, and I know we've been talking about real estate the whole time, but I wanted to ask you, you wrote a, a couple other books, and I wanted you to be able to Give us a little once over on your other books as well. Sure. So the first book that I ever wrote, it was just kind of born out of this place of necessity, which is kind of where, where all of my books have come from. But I was in a, a place in my life where I was looking to make some big changes. I was looking to make complete career moves and, you know, just kind of reinvent everything that I was I was doing. And so I'm, I'm listening to all the, all the pundits out there, you know, the, the Grant Cardones of the world and, and people like that. And, you know, their advice is, well, you gotta just quit your job and you gotta, you gotta dive in head first and you gotta move to a city where what you want to do is thriving and find the person who's doing the best at it and agree to go work for them for free for a year to learn everything that you can. And it's like, yeah, that's great advice. And I'm sure that it works, but I've got two kids. I have a mortgage and you yeah. know, the, the grocery. That might work if you're 20. That's right. The grocery store doesn't accept hugs and good feelings. They want cash. So right. I thought there, there's got to be a better way. And 
what I did is I just, I started just trying to make just very, very small minor changes on a daily basis, these small little incremental changes and see what type of exponential growth that that grows into. And it, it worked for me. And, you know, I I told somebody, I said, I think I'm going to write a book about this. And I got a lot of laughs and a lot of eye rolls and a, Hey, you pretty much failed English and literature class. You know, what makes you think that you can write a book? You don't know anything about writing. You don't know anything about publishing, selling, anything like that. And so I just kind of used that as my, my quiet motivation. And I just, I sat off, I wrote the book, found out that it's insanely simple to self-publish things on Amazon. I did that started promoting just a little bit. And I was fortunate enough to land on an Amazon bestseller list that first year. So it's, and I can tell you that the book has a disclaimer in the beginning that if you're looking for, for grammar and sentence structure and paragraph structure, this is not the right place. I write like I talk, you know, it's, it was just a way it was therapeutic for me and a way to get my ideas out there. And so that's where I wrote small steps, sizable gains. And then a year or so later, I'm very big, you know, in, into journaling and that really got me started on writing. And I was, I, I had all of these journals. I was trying out all these new journals and it's like, they all had little pieces of things that I liked, but nothing that really fit all of my needs. And so I just, I sat back and I thought, well, you know, I have experience self-publishing. Why don't I just create my own journal? You know, why don't I just say, here's exactly what I want out of a journal. I kind of laid it all out. I found somebody on Fiverr who laid it out for me and put it together in a, in a good format. I think that cost me about a hundred bucks. I sent it over to Amazon um, and not even really to sell it, but just so that I can have it printed on demand as I need a new one. Um, I've sold a few here and there, but it's nothing that I ever promoted. It was more just about, Hey, I need this for myself and I need a quick, easy way to get it printed and ready. So I do that through Amazon, which is a phenomenal resource. And then like we talked about earlier, the, the third book was, was on the investor side. And I decided to do that one com- completely digital. There's, there's no hard copies to it. I didn't want any cost to it. I just wanted the information out there to as many people that wanted it. And so I just made it available as a, as a free ebook download. If people want to get that book, where do they get it? It's 10investormistakes.com. It's the number 10 and then investormistakes.com. You can go, you can download it right away. Quick, easy, simple read. You can have it knocked out in 20 to 25 minutes if you're a fairly quick reader. So, But I go through my own personal story. I get pretty open and vulnerable on deals that I've done specifically. So these aren't just like made up scenarios. These are real life scenarios that I went through. And, you know, hopefully just my mistakes and my story will you know, help people understand that it's okay to make mistakes, but also help get them through that, that initial fear of starting the investment process and get them just to, just to jump in and start, start rolling. Perfect. And Luke, if people want to reach out to you, if they want more information or anything like that, what's the best way? Is it, uh, can they connect with you on LinkedIn or, or how's the best way for them to reach out to yeah, you? Yeah, you can, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram, Luke Andrews, RE, uh, for, Luke Andrews Real Estate, you know, or you can just, you can go right to my website, lukeandrews.us or lukeandrews.teachable.com. They'll both take you to the same spot. It has spots there where you can, you can connect with me on social. You can send me an email or message directly. I manage all of those messages and those emails. So, you know, it's, it's not, 
not my VA or anything doing that. So if you send me a message, I'm, I'm happy to engage in dialogue and, and help in any way that I can. Perfect, Luke. Well, I appreciate you sharing all your investment knowledge on the show today. I think uh, people are really going to be thinking about real estate right now. And, you know, that's just some great information. Well, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's been a pleasure, brother. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.